Virtual CISO Moment is brought to you by VCSO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcsoservices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment Information Security Wrap-Up for Friday, March 24th, 2023. This just in from Bleeping Computer, GitHub rotates its exposed private SSH key. So GitHub has apparently rotated its private SSH key for github.com after the secret was accidentally published in a public GitHub repository. The software development and version control service says that the private RSA key was, quote, only briefly exposed, but that it took action out of, quote, an abundance of caution. In a succinct blog post published today, GitHub acknowledged discovering this week that the RSA SSH private key for GitHub.com had been exposed to a public GitHub repository. Quote, we immediately acted to contain the exposure and began investigating to understand the root cause and impact, writes Mike Hanley, GitHub's chief security officer and SVP of engineering. Quote, we now have completed the key replacement and Users will see the key change propagate over the next 30 minutes. Some users may have noticed that the new key was briefly present during a outage around 2.30 UTC during preparations for this change. Now, interestingly enough, the blog post does not answer when exactly was the key exposed and for how long, making the timeline of exposure a bit murky. And such timestamps can be typically ascertained from security logs should these be available, and from Git comment history. From the Hacker News, fake G chat GPT Chrome browser extension caught hijacking Facebook accounts. Google has stepped in to move, remove a bogus Chrome ex browser extension from the official web store that masqueraded as OpenAI's chat GPT service to harvest Facebook sessions, cookies, and hijack the accounts. Now, the chat GPT for Google extension, if you happen to have downloaded it and installed it, is a trojanized version of a legitimate open source browser add-on attracted over 9,000 installations since March 14th, 2023, prior to its removal. It was originally uploaded to the Chrome Web Store on February 14th, 2023. Happy Valentine's Day. It's designed to redirect unsuspecting users searching for ChatGPT4 to fraudulent landing pages that then point to the fake add-on. Installing the extension adds the promised functionality, i.e. enhancing search engines with ChatGPT but it also stealthily activates the ability to capture Facebook-related cookies and exfiltrate it to a remote server in an encrypted manner. Once in possession of the victim's cookies, the threat actor moves to seize control of the Facebook account, change the password, alter the profile name and picture, and even use it to disseminate extremist propaganda. So how much are you using ChatGPT and did this impact you? Drop a note in the chat and we might bring it up on the air. Meanwhile, the BBC uh, says that a chat GPT bug leaked users' conversation histories. Now, apparently this glitch allowed some users to see the titles of other users' conversations, the artificial intelligent chat bot's boss has said. That's a mouthful. On social media sites, Reddit and Twitter, users had shared images of chat histories that they said were not theirs. 
It's definitely disconcerting. OpenAI CEO Sam Altman said that the company feels, quote, awful, but the, quote, significant error has now been fixed. Yay. Many users, however, remain concerned about privacy on the platform, rightfully so. Millions of people have used ChatGPT to draft messages, write songs, and even code since it launched in November of last year. Each conversation with the chatbot is stored in the user's chat history bar where it can be revisited later. Anyway, as early as Monday, users began to see conversations appear in their history that they said they hadn't had with the chatbot. Maybe the chatbot was telling them that they need to have the conversation. Maybe uh, this is a little bit more intelligent than we thought. Well, on Tuesday, the company told Bloomberg that it had briefly disabled a chatbot late on Monday to fix the error, which is interesting because now that I think about it, last time I was on chat GPT, which is probably around that time, my chat history was not available. And that there was a message saying that we know this, but we're looking to fix it. I, it was one of those things where I'm like, well, okay, whatever. It's just a glitch, but I'm sure it was related to this. Anyway, they also said that the users have not been able to access the actual chats, which is good. Just It was just the the title, but I mean, if you're looking for some weird stuff, I guess it didn't really identify the subject with the user. At least I don't think it did, but that would be, that would be interesting. OpenAI's chief executive tweeted that it would be a quote, technical postmortem soon, but the error has drawn concern from users who fear that their private information could be released through the tool. Well, Here's a suggestion. Don't load up private information into chat GPT. We've been saying that from the beginning. And make sure that your employees and staff aren't doing it as well, too. No corporate data. Okay. Now, that does remind me of something that I forgot to follow up on from a few weeks ago. You remember when I was bemoaning the fact that my Windows calendar just died on me? Um, and apparently there was a blog post that I did find that said, yeah, Microsoft knows this is a problem and we'll get back to you on that. Well, I believe it was the next day, maybe the day after, that suddenly the calendar started working. I never saw any indication that Microsoft officially acknowledged and officially produced a fix. If you do know of it and you're listening to this live, please put it in the chat box. Would love to see that. If you want me to, I'll even mention your name on the air. <laughs> Are these the droids you're looking for? Or as... More specifically, as Dark Reading asks, are you talking to a carbon, silicon, or artificial identity? Again, we're sort of on the whole AI st uh, stuff. Chat GPT and Baird or Bard AI, which I'm not familiar with that one, are making the news for all kinds of reasons, some of which we just discussed. People are charmed and unnerved by the quirky responses of how seemingly sentient these chatbots are. But AI has existed for years, and the issues today aren't just related to a greater capacity for writing term papers and malware. These two new tools simply add to an already complex ecosystem of identities, which may be carbon-based, silicon-based, or now increasingly complex artificial identities created by AI. Just a little review of what each one's are. Carbon-based identity, that's us. We have names, we have PII, mannerisms, we're people. We live, breathe, interact with other carbon-based units, as the V'ger probe would say. Well, Star Trek reference, I've already done Star Wars, might as well do Star Trek. Silicon-based identity, a silicon-based identity is something that we all interact with, but rarely or ever think about as an entity, such as our cars, 
these things are smartphones and millions of other items. They are silicon-based. And then you have AI identity. If you've ever read a novel, you've met a whole cast of characters of artificial identities. As a novelist myself, we call that create a world creation. You have to create the world in which your story is taking place. And most of the times, it's pretty easy if it's in today, but sometimes you have to still create the world within today. And here, so the new chatbots can create a detailed identities and moments. So why does this matter? Well, a silicon-based identity integrates with you and your identity, like your smartphone, you set it up, you customize it, you can log in. How many people are virtually or maybe literally at times attached to this thing? I know that I, I, I actually, you know, one of the cool things about the um, Apple iWatch, and I'm sure Android does the same thing too, the Apple Watch, is they're all interconnected. So I'm driving to work and I get about a mile from my, and a half from my house and it tells me, hey, you forgot your phone. So I was able to go back and get it, which is great because I can't really effectively work 100% during the day, if only for multi-factor authentication, right? It makes life a lot harder. Uh, artificial entities are increasingly easy to create. AI can generate faces that people find trustworthy and have difficulty distinguishing from real ones. We see a lot of deep fakes out there. I just saw a deep fake video. Can't remember his name, but the district attorney in um, New York City on the possible Trump indictment. That was rather odd. And one other thing about AI is uh, I want to check out the uh, latest Star Trek series, Picard. There's a lot of AI going on, particularly with the episode that dropped yesterday. So how do you know which type of entity you're talking to is a question that's only, only going to become more challenging in the months and years. Most chat box can answer simple questions with canned responses, but it's getting harder to tell them all apart. And in the finance world, we call that KYC, know your customer. Gives new meaning to that, I guess, in a little way. Info Security Magazine reports a novel phishing scam relying on legitimate service from Microsoft's collaborative platform SharePoint. Has been targeting at least 1,600 individuals across Europe, the United States, and other countries using a native notification mechanism. Now, Kaspersky Security Researchers described the findings as a new advisory published earlier, adding cyber criminals use the scam to steal the credentials for various email accounts, including Yahoo, AOL. Is AOL still around? Wow. CompuServe? No, I'm just kidding. Office 65. about sharing a file, wrote Kaspersky, spam analysis expert Roman Dednock. This is unlikely to arouse suspicion because it's a real notification, according to him. Upon clicking on the link, victims are directed to a genuine SharePoint server hosting a OneNote file that includes another link. There you go. This is the malicious one, which in turn opens a standard phishing site that mimics the OneDrive login page, which readily steals credentials for Yahoo! AOL, Outlook, Office 365, or another email service. And away we go. So are you interested in sponsoring this podcast? Would you like to reach virtual CISOs and others in the cybersecurity space as well as small and mid-sized businesses? Sponsorship opportunities are currently available. It's a great way particularly to promote your virtual CISO service or if you have a product for SMBs, 
that because they can compose a significant part of the listener base. You can contact me, Greg, at gregshafer.info for more details. HelpNet Security reports a common user mistake can lead to compromised Okta login credentials. Logged failed logins into a company's Okta domain could be used by threat actors to discover access credentials of valid accounts. This according to researchers from Mitiga. Those credentials can then be used to log into any of the organization's platforms that use Okta. To always have a problem with that single sign-on or SSO, or if the login credentials belong to an admin to gain proved access to other systems or restricted network areas. Not good. When logging into their organization's Okta domain, it is quite common for a user to mistakenly enter their password in the username field on the login page. This results in login failure. Done that. However, the unfortunate consequence of this, that's that's now logged and recorded in the audit logs. So basically, Okta advises admins not only to configure multi-factor authentication, but also three more bullet points, create custom character restrictions for the username field to prevent passwords from being entered, put a placeholder text in the username and password fields to provide a visual cue to the user on what type of input is required, EE or IE, username, password. Consider implementing Okta, got it right that time, FastPass, passwordless, passwordless authentication. Remember the Dole ransomware attack back in February? Well, Security Affairs says that the Dole Food Company confirmed that the threat actors behind the recent ransomware attack had access to employees' data. Not good. Dole Food Company is an Irish agricultural multinational corporation, is one of the largest producers of fruit and veggies, operating with 38,500 full-time and seasonal employees who supply some 300 products in 75 countries with revenues in 2021 of $6.5 billion. So they're a large company. It's not just about salads. In February, the company announced that it had suffered a ransomware attack that impacted its operations. At the time of the disclosure, the company did not provide details about the attack. Specifically, they said then that, quote, the company recently experienced a cybersecurity incident that has been identified as ransomware. Upon learning of this incident, Dole moved quickly to contain the threat and engaged leading third-party cybersecurity experts who have been working with partnership with Dole's internal teams to remediate the issue and secure systems. I think that that's like a standard response now. In fact, if you ask ChatGPT, can you write me a standard response for ransomware response? Probably going to come out looking almost just like that. Now, Dole Food Company has confirmed that threat actors behind the February ransomware attack had access to an undisclosed number of the employees. Quote, we have in the past experience and may in the future face cybersecurity incidents. In February of 2023, we were the victim of a sophisticated ransomware attack involving unauthorized access to employee information. This is from the annual report filed with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, not the Southeastern Conference, if you're a college sports fan. Upon detecting the attack, here we go. We promptly took steps to contain the attack, retain the services. We already said that. Now, even though they said that it didn't really impact operations, it was forced to shut down production plants across North America. Finally, we get to our lists of the day. And this is an interesting list that 
if you're a small mid-sized business or if you provide virtual CISO services for same, you might be interested in this. This comes to us from Security Intelligence or securityintelligence.com. Six ways to secure your organization on a smaller budget. Now, if you're not familiar with this segment of the podcast, this is when I read an article that has a list of things. All I know is the title. I haven't read the article itself, but the title is something during the past week that interests me that I wanted to share with you, my lovely audience. And so here we go. Six ways to secure your organization on a smaller budget from security intelligence. Jennifer Gregory wrote that. Great last name. So let's go ahead and start this. Number one, create a culture of cybersecurity. I think this is critically important. I've, I once had a uh, um, client ask me, well, what do you mean by culture of cybersecurity? And that's where I tried to explain the idea of that you don't want to just think about it as an add-on. You don't want to just think about it as something that you educate. It should be something that's just integrated into the business processes. In fact, when I first became CISO of Metro Nashville, I had an interview on one of the local stations, and that was exactly what I was talking about, how we were going to integrate cybersecurity with all the business processes and integrate it with a um, with the uh, culture. I may have to find that. I have an absolutely horrible Spock haircut. I don't know what I was thinking. I decided to do bangs. Um, it Traumatic. So maybe I'll find that and put that link in or, or share it on the virtual CISO moment channels at some point in time. Number two, create a process to keep devices and systems updated. Yes, this doesn't really cost much. Just make sure that you're updating your stuff. Um, so long as you have a support contract and the stuff is still being supported, don't have stuff out there that isn't supported. So, but if it is, if it's not end of life, you should be able to update that without an issue. Move to a zero trust approach. Now, I don't really care about the term so much because it, it's got so many meanings and so many um, so much marketing influence, I think, with it. But basically, um, and from the article here, it's assuming that all devices, users, and applications are not authorized until proven otherwise. So getting away from the very traditional and very outdated mode around the castle type thing. Once you get into the castle, you can do everything. It's more fine-grained. Um, trust nobody, I guess you could say. And it's just, I, I would call it more fine-grained trust or fine-grained permissions is probably a better way to say it. Um, but zero trust just sounds more um, 007-ish, I guess. Number four, use AI-based cybersecurity tools. Not chat GPT, don't throw anything out there. But basically what they're talking about here is that if possible, if you can use AI tools, that it it can help with the false positives. And, and one of the lines here is what I just thought about. They say, while purchasing a new platform may feel counterintuitive on a smaller budget or truly not, it will allow you to create a more secure environment with fewer resources, which is often challenging if not impossible on a tight budget. I would caution about this. Um, this almost sounds like the, the advice is buy a box, put it in, you'll be all good. And I have yet to see a box that doesn't require significant resources to work it. 
even if it's to the point of, all right, you're telling me what I need to do. Now I've got to be actionable about it. And sometimes being actionable, you have to spend more time learning what the box is actually telling you to do, even to the point of when, if you had just found it yourself, you would have already learned. Move to passwordless authentication. Uh, let's see. If you choose a solution that includes MFA, your employees use a single encrypted password for all accounts, which greatly reduces the risk of credential-related items. Um, Passwordless authentication also greatly reduces the amount of time your team has to spend resolving password issues can be significant. I don't know. I'm kind of a traditionalist. I, I like having things that are password-based, but I do like having single sign-on where it's like you've already authenticated yourself to in an identity management provider and you just click on use that and you're ready to go. Um, that probably should be low cost because I think just about every small or mid-sized business has to have some sort of back office and, and identity management system in place, even if it's just very simple Office 365 or G Suite. Regularly backup data to an external or cloud-based storage. Yes, yes. And, and also I would, I would suggest that Consider backing up some data periodically to a physical device that's then physically secured somewhere off electronics, just in case your backups get encrypted and your backup backups get encrypted and all of that. Although um, I do believe, and please somebody correct me if I'm wrong on this, but um, I think it's difficult, if not impossible, still to um, have ransomware affect Office 365 stored files. Anyway, if I'm wrong on that, flame me. I would deserve it. Anyway, that's it for today. That's it for the list. That's it for the um, podcast episode for today. And it's the weekend. I hope you have some great plans for the weekend. I know I do. I have a, we have a lot of stuff going on and also looking for some relaxation. And we'll pick it up again on Monday with Quick Strike. Until then. Stay secure.